There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jettikin. Let's start out the show by thanking our Patreon contributors for the week. They donated over at patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This week we had Allison, another Allison, two Allisons, Stephanie, Kimber, Sophie, Anna, Abby, Corey, Colette, Shelby, Tara, Lisa, Allison, Megan, Alexis, Kiera, Catherine, and Susan. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys so much. Okay, Desi, continuing with Mother's Day month, we are going to be doing the mother of all mother issue stories, and that <laughs> is Mommy Dearest. Yay. Which, of course, is the 1978 memoir written by Christina Crawford, Joan Crawford's daughter. Yeah. Which I'm sure many of you listeners have seen the 1981 film. Amazing. Of the same name. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the most iconic films of all time. It's a cult classic. It's a gay classic. It's like... I've seen it so many times. (laughs) Yeah. And honestly, like I rewatched it this week and Brendan had never seen it before. So we watched it together, like in preparation to like you know, compare the movie to the book. This isn't even a movie versus reality episode, but obviously if I'm going to be researching this and reading the book, I want to watch the movie again. Yeah. And it's still so good. It's pretty tight movie. Like, (laughs) do you know what I mean? There's no dull spots. Like, yeah, it's riveting the whole way through. And I honestly couldn't believe that it was nominated for like a ton of golden raspberries. Oh, really? Yeah. It was like universally panned when it came out. I mean, it's not like it's... I love it, but it's not like I would say, oh, this is a great movie, but I'm surprised it was considered that bad. Do you know what I mean? Usually I feel like raspberries are like boring. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. Because this movie is interesting from start to finish. And like, yeah, Faye Dunaway's portrayal of Joan Crawford is really over the top, but I don't know. I think it's good. I'm not saying she should get an Oscar, but it's like, I'd rather watch something like that than something boring. Like... Do you know what I mean? To me, that's a, that's what gets a bad award. It's like, that was obviously a bunch of straight people who came to that conclusion that it was a bad movie. Right. It's like, when people are always like dismissive of someone chewing the scenery, I'm like, why? I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's like, you know what? This is a... I think one of the reviews was like, Faye Dunaway doesn't just chew the scenery. She gnaws on every... <laughs> it's like, yeah, but it actually works in this film. Especially she's, for Joan Crawford's character that's being portrayed, it works. She's also very believable. Like, it's not a bad performance. I believe that she's this person. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not like it's a bad acting performance. No. It's definitely over the top, but in right. a real way, if that makes sense. I right. Don't know. No, I fully agree. So, like I said before, my main source for this episode was Christina Crawford's memoir, Mommy Dearest. And 
this is going to be a two-part episode because obviously how can you do the life and relationship between Joan and Christina in just one episode? I tried, Desi. I did. <laughs> and then I was like, you know what? Too much stuff to talk about. Yeah. So part one, we're not going to be talking too much about Joan Crawford's career. This is more focused on her relationship with Christina and just her personal life, who Joan was as a person. Uh, in part two, we will be going into some, you know, uh, op- opinions about the book, uh-huh. and the depiction of Joan in the book. But for now, for part one, we'll be talking about straight from the source, Mommy Dearest, the memoir. Joan Crawford was born Lucille Lesur on March 23rd, 190 question mark. Yeah. We don't know exactly the year that she was born, but it is suspected that her birth year was 1904, even though Joan would say that it was 1908. Because, of course, she, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. She wanted to appear younger Shaved as an actress. Off. She was born in San Antonio, Texas, and she got her start in the entertainment industry as a dancer, in traveling reviews, and also on Broadway before arriving in Hollywood in 1924. In her first film, 1925's Lady of the Night, she was credited as Lucille Lesur. That same year, she was signed with MGM, and the studio held a contest to find the promising young star's new name, and they chose Joan Crawford. I love Lucille Lesur. <laughs> like, how is that not a cool movie star name? That's a good name, too. Yeah. It's just as good as Joan Maybe Crawford. Maybe it was too foreign sounding or French. They're like, like we don't want to. We can't French. say Lesur. <laughs> like, I could barely like, say it. I'm probably yeah. pronouncing it wrong. I think it's a cool name, though. But sure. Okay. Yeah. Over the next four years, Joan went on to act in 20 films. So she was like really working a lot in Hollywood. Um, And she was like, you know, rising up, becoming a star, but they weren't like the best movies. Movies, exactly. In 1929, Joan married Douglas Fairbanks Jr. And he was the son of Douglas Fairbanks, a man once considered the king of Hollywood. He was also a successful actor, producer, and writer. He was married to one of the most famous actresses of the time, Mary Pickford who we've talked about a few times before. Yeah. And their Beverly Hills estate known as Pick Fair was the most sought after place to hang out in Hollywood. Like if you got an invite to Pick Fair, you were fucking cool yeah. and important. Joan would later remark that she didn't think her in-laws liked her much. It took them a whole year after she was married to Douglas Fairbanks Jr. to even get an invitation to their estate. Whoa. So she felt really kind of snubbed by this Hollywood royal family. Like, she wasn't fitting in with them. And her marriage anyway to Douglas was short-lived. They divorced in 1933. Around this time, Joan began an affair with Clark Gable, who was married at the time. And in 1935, she married again to actor Francho Tone. Oh. Joan saw that Francho was considerably less ambitious than she was, and he also had a wandering eye, so they divorced in 1939. After years of trying without success to conceive, Joan adopted her first child in the summer of 1939. Christina Crawford was just a few weeks old when she came into Joan's life. 
But before she was named Christina, she was for a time named Joan Crawford Jr., (laughs) which is a fun fact (laughs) and a very Joan Crawford thing to do. I'm not like a big fan of naming your kids like when fathers do that with their sons, but it's even more weird (laughs) when a mom does it (laughs) like because it's just not even traditional. Right. So then you're breaking. It's not like a tradition thing. It's just completely like, why would you not have this opportunity to make up a new name? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. This like, is the most Joan Crawford thing to do. It's so wild to me. But she decided against it, okay. obviously, Good. eventually. Named her Christina. Now, one thing that was like kind of accurate like in the movie. I mean, the movie is like pretty faithful to the memoir. There are some things that are definitely done for more drama or for like you know, condensing the film or whatever. But one thing that is portrayed in Mommy Dearest that was true was that Joan had a hard time even adopting, like going through the legal traditional channels of adopting a child because she was a single woman. Right. And that was just not done in 1939. Even when you're rich. Even when you're a wealthy movie star who, who has all the means to provide for a child, they were like, no, that's not proper. You're single. So she did have to go through some shady back channels to get Christina. Joan spoiled her young child with expensive toys and clothing. She happily tended to her every need and often took her with her to the studio. When her baby was about a year old, Joan legally adopted her in Nevada as California's laws, like I said before, they did not allow an unwed woman to adopt a child. That's when the baby's name was also changed to Christina. By 1942, Joan finished her last film with MGM, which was Above Suspicion. Though she had been steadily working, her films were not the most critically acclaimed, and she was dubbed box office poison. Like, none of her films were making money, and they had to let her go, and she had been with them for 18 years at that point. Right. Now, this was a huge blow to her ego, because MGM was the studio to be with. Like, the best stars were at MGM, the best pictures were coming out of MGM, and she felt like, I've been loyal to you guys for 18 years Yeah. How dare you do this? She next signed to Warner Brothers, where the projects were not exactly looking any better for her there. And her pride was just really hurt at this point. That same year, she married actor Philip Terry. In Mommy Dearest, the book, Christina says, quote, Mother needed companionship and she needed an audience to reassure her that she was loved. She had an insatiable need for love and attention. And another interesting thing that Christina noted in the book, Mommy Dearest, was that anytime some sort of like disappointment or uh, would over would would befall Joan Crawford or something bad would happen, like she kept it inside because she didn't want to see have people see her as like a wounded animal. She didn't want to show any (laughs) displays of like vulnerability. Do such a thing. Who would do Desi? (laughs) Desi's turning beet red right now. But she would like, she could not appear vulnerable to anybody in her life or anyone around her. She had to be strong. If something bad happened to her or something upset her, I mean, something upset her in a way that made her sad. Right. Not like enraged because she had no problem. she was fine with she was, that was invulnerable she was fine telling you that she was enraged about something but if something hurt her pride Aww. or embarrassed her she yeah. would go to her room and deal with it privately like she wouldn't confide in a friend that wasn't her style 
Now, Philip Terry had his own bedroom and bathroom in their Brentwood home. They adopted a baby boy named Christopher. However, baby Christopher's birth mother wanted him back, and after a big, messy ordeal that ended in a violent screaming match between the mother and Joan, the baby was returned. (gasps) He had only lived in the Terry Crawford household for about nine months. So Joan then adopted another baby boy who they named Philip Terry Jr. Oh. Christina adored her baby brother. She says that she would play dress up with him and that they would remain inseparable until her teenage years. According to Christina, her stepfather Philip was a kind man and she much preferred his spankings to her mother's as they weren't as aggressive. Uh, Like, they weren't as hard. Okay. But Joan was breaking hairbrushes across Christina's butt. Right. Like, But in the movie, they just make him Christopher. Exactly. Yeah. There wasn't two. However, Uh this baby would become Christopher later. Uh, Oh, when she gets divorced. Yes. (laughs) There's something sick about using that name again. (laughs) Like, just, it's like the baby died and they're just, let's just name the new one Christopher. (laughs) Like... Yeah, it's fucked. Joan hosted lavish birthday parties for Christina when she was a young child. The backyard soirees were set against the backdrop of their expensive yard and their Olympic-sized swimming pool. The parties featured clowns and ponies, and all the little children were dressed up in the finest clothing. Christina likened it to a private circus. Quote, mother had created me in the image of perfection and then created these birthday parties to celebrate another successful year of happiness with that creation. Okay. So Joan and Philip Terry Jr. divorced, or Philip Terry, excuse me, divorced in 1946. And when they divorced, Joan ripped him out of all the pictures that she had of him, like their family portraits or family pictures, just candid shots. Like anytime he was in a picture... She would either cut his head off or just tear him. Was that in the movie? Yes. Yeah, I remember that. But this. in the movie, it was one of her boyfriends. Right. This so that was sort of a Philip Terry stand-in. Yes. That boyfriend, the one with the blondish Uncle hair. Greg. Yeah, Uncle Greg. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, you just watched it. Yeah. So she just tore him out. And then uh, that's when she changed her baby's name. To Christopher. From Philip Terry, or from Philip Jr. to... Christopher. Had he never officially adopted the child? No, just Joan had adopted okay, the child. Okay, so it wasn't like she took the custody away. He never actually had it. I think it was just Joan was who adopted. It was unofficial, yeah. Right. So at this point, Christina was six and her brother was three. So this baby's name changed when he was three years old. Right. And it's not even similar. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. Philip Fur. <laughs> yeah, what would you change that to? You can't Phil, change. Phil, like Bill. Like something could have worked if it rhymed maybe. Filibuster. <laughs> Filibuster. <laughs> Filibuster. That is kind of a cute name. So That is kind of cute. Buster. That's, you can call him Buster. Buster's a cute name. Yeah. According to Christina, Philip Terry's acting career never went anywhere after the divorce, probably due to her mother's bad-mouthing him around town. Oh, he was an actor. Yes. Okay, okay. And she was like, I'm not going to... Look, I feel like his career was going nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) Right. In 1945, Joan Crawford starred in Mildred Pierce, and she went on to win the Academy Award for Best Actress. Now, quick sidebar, my great-grandfather worked for Warner Brothers for like 50 fucking years from the first 
from the first era of the talkies until like the seventies or the sixties. And he worked with Joan Crawford because she was at Warner brothers for like 10 years or something. And I'm pretty sure the film, I'm going to have to ask my grandmother who's like memory isn't too great right now, but I have a picture of my grandmother with Joan Crawford and my great grandfather on set of what they said was in 1945. So I'm pretty sure, like 90% sure, this was on the set of Mildred Pierce. Oh. Which I thought was pretty cool. Um, so I will post that picture. It's a great picture. My grandma's very cute in it. And, you know, one thing that she said, she said Joan was very nice to her, but Joan was very nice to all of her fans. Like that was yeah. known. Joan loved her fans. Yeah. And she loved... Like, she was very, like, she had a very, like, her public image of, like, how she presented herself was very different than what was apparently going on at home. So Joan won the Academy Award for Mildred Pierce for Best Actress. And at the time of the award ceremony, Joan was sick with pneumonia, and so she accepted her award in bed, in full makeup, in her nicest nightgown and bed jacket. Right. But in the movie, it's not really... That right, it's not really. She's she's like I lied and said I had pneumonia, even though I don't. That's what she says in the movie. However, there is some truth to that portrayal in the movie because Joan was resentful of she was resentful that she just about the studios in general at that point. I forget the exact thing that she was mad about. It was very petty. But it was also, I I took it more based on the movie that she had too much nerves to go and she didn't want to be humiliated in person or it, something. It was definitely an ego thing, yeah. but she, she told them that she refused to go to the Academy Awards, right. but then she ended up getting sick anyway. And she's like, well, this, this isn't a- how I wanted to not go. I wanted yeah. to do it on my terms. Yeah. But okay. she really was sick okay. with pneumonia. But she did. There is a famous photo of her in bed right. with her Oscar. In 1947, Joan adopted two more children. They were twin girls named Cindy and Kathy. And those children are absent from the film. Yes. But she did have four children. Christina said that life at home had become increasingly regimented. The children were to get up at the same time every morning and eat their meals at the same time every day. Joan insisted that everyone eat their meat rare, which Christina did not like much. Do you remember this from the movie? Uh, Absolutely. Horrifying. It's funny listening to this because I was like, I have seen this movie probably more than like it's probably one of my top seen movies yeah because i've seen it so many times and when i everything you're saying i'm like yep that's the scene where she (laughs) refuses to eat the meat and she sits there all night with that fucking meat and like as a kid i just remember like eat the fucking meat like right do you know what i mean like it's even worse in the book she okay so Joan wanted everyone to eat their meat rare. rare. She thought there was more vitamins in it. Right. Like she thought the vitamins were more cooked out the longer you cook the meat. And this meat wasn't just rare. It was like blue rare. It's rare. It's bloody. I mean, it's super bloody. It was yeah. like, it wasn't like rare. Like you'd get at a restaurant. It was like not cooked. It's enough. like seared. Yeah. And then completely uncooked inside. It's like seared ahi tuna meat. Right. Too rare. I don't like that rare. No. And I yeah. like, I like medium rare. Yeah. I like a good medium rare. I might go rare, but it's depending. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. So Christina, obviously, she's like, 
a little kid at this point. She's like seven. Yeah. I don't think a lot of seven-year-old kids are into blue rare steak. I mean, or even steak. <laughs> like it's <laughs> yeah. not like a kid thing, right? No, I mean, I guess not. Um, I think kids like lamb chops. Yes, but that has a little gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> You're holding the little thing. Yeah, I liked those when I was a kid. I just feel like that's a kid thing. It's like, ooh, look. Lamb chops. I remember one time buying really expensive lamb chops because they're like fucking expensive. They're like $30 they? a pound. Yes, and they're like, you're getting this little piece of meat on the thin bone or whatever. Right. And my niece was like four and she like ate like 10 lamb chops. And we were all like, all the adults got like two because she oh. wouldn't stop eating them. And I was like, excuse me, if this was my child, I would be like, No. Stop eating that expensive lamb chops when adults are not getting as much as you. Like, she just could not stop eating the lamb chops. She's like, I love lamb chops. Oh my god! It was just like so funny because everyone was kind of like not saying anything, and she just kept eating them. She just kept eating them. It was so hilarious, and I'm sure like she was not even eating at all. It was like taking a few bites and then discarding it, like kind of thing. But it was just so funny. So I always think of lamb chops as a kid thing. I think it is, and you know, I liked lamb chops when I was a kid, but now cannot stand the taste of lamb. Really? I can't. Oh, I like it. I mean, I don't really eat it that much, but... Yeah. But it is a kid. It's more... I just think of that more of like a kid meat than like a blue rare big oh, steak. Totally. And the meat in the movie looks fucking... It's gigantic. It's a huge... And it's literally sitting in a pool of blood. Like Yeah. And that's so. how she described it in the book. So Joan uh, was obviously like, you better fucking eat this meat. You're not getting up from the table. Till you eat this meat, Christina was like, no. And Joan demanded that the staff, you know, make sure Christina was obeying right. all the rules, including eating her dinner when she fucking said so. And in the movie, she sits down again and, this, and the meal is put back in front of her. Well, yeah. <laughs> in the movie, that only happens over a 24-hour period. This song and dance would go on for two or three days. Oh, my God. Now... If Christina prote- pro- uh, protested eating this blue rare meat that Joan would always serve, it would go into the fridge and then she would be made to eat the leftovers at breakfast or she wouldn't eat at all. Like she wouldn't get to eat anything else until she finished that meal. Ugh. So if she would be like, no, I'm not eating it, she'd be like, all right, put it back in the fridge. Yeah. You'll eat it at breakfast. And then she'd go down for breakfast and, you know, uh, They were cooking like bacon and eggs. The staff were cooking bacon and eggs. And she'd be like, oh my God, that smells so good. And then she would get this fucking congealed piece of bloody meat, cold bloody meat put down in front of her. She should have eaten it the first night. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? So this, uh, she also had to stand while she ate. And this was a common occurrence. Christina couldn't sit down eating her food. I don't know why both her and Christopher had to stand while they ate dinner. Was it? I wonder if it was like some weird like digestion thing. Probably some weird forties. Yeah, like you digest tail. better if you're standing, so your your gastric system isn't squashed. You know what I heard when I was a kid from some dumbass kid on the playground? They were like, because you know, kids just say shit that is not true that yes, they heard. Well, absolutely. <laughs> someone told me once that if I ate standing up, I would get a double chin. That doesn't sound scientific. <laughs> but I believed it initially. Hey, I stand up eating a lot. <laughs> Come on. What Christina's problem is. On the go. <laughs> so she, oh, sorry, where am I? Okay, so Christina once spent two days avoiding this plate of meat 
the same plate of meat from dinner, but each day it would be waiting for her. Like I said, she would come down for breakfast in the morning, smelling the bacon and the eggs cooking, and she would be forced to stare at the plate of two-day-old leftover beef dinner that she still refused to eat. Joan scolded her daughter for refusing to eat, saying that children were starving in Europe. But she reminded her also, and she reminded her also of how poor that she grew up as a child and that she was selfish and ungrateful. The children, um, so yeah, so I, I don't, I think eventually, like, Joan relented after, like, three days. Right. But she was not happy about it, obviously. But this was, like, three days Christina didn't eat anything because she refused to eat this disgusting meat. That's disgusting. Yeah. The children and all the staff were instructed not to make any noise in the house or even in the yard until Joan woke up, which was usually around 11.30 a.m. Christina and her brother were not allowed to speak above a whisper. If anyone in the house broke this rule, there would be hell to pay. Joan would yell, and Christina would be spanked viciously. Each morning, Joan would have her breakfast brought to her on a tray in bed. Sometimes this was Christina's job. Joan was always dressed in white pajamas with monograms. She loved monograms. Like, all of her shit was monogrammed. And she had many pairs of these PJs. She was like, it's like a cartoon character. She had like two dozen of the exact same pajamas. I love the opening to this movie where she's doing like the face and the ice and like (laughs) the whole routine. I'm about to talk about that. Oh, good. That was true to life, obviously. She did wash her face with ice and she did have a gigantic strap hoisting her face up that she slept in. Oh my God. That's a very old timey. Facelift, yeah. <laughs> beauty treatment is when you sleep with like big bandages on your face to give yourself like a, a overnight lift. facelift. Yeah. I don't know if that works. Did I use an ag- a jade roller aggressively while I watch Mommy Dearest the other night? Yes. <laughs> Does that work? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I have no idea. It feels good. It did feel very good. On su- Sunday mornings, Joan and the kids would attend the Christian Science Church in Beverly Hills, where Christina attended Sunday school. After church, Joan would call her friend Sorky, who was a Christian scientist in New York. Christina said that Sorky was, quote, the only fat person mother ever tolerated. Joan would pull the kids onto the phone to tell Sorky, I love you. Even though, like, I don't think they had even ever met Sorky. So Sorky's an adult? Sorky's an adult woman that Joan had known from New York. Okay. Who she was very close with. Joan apparently talked to this woman every day for 25 years and told her everything. This was the only... This was, like, the closest person in her life. This was the closest thing she had to a therapist ever. Interesting. And this is obviously not something that's talked about in the movie or it's not, like, a plot point in the movie. But Joan, like, was active in the Christian Science Church. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember this. Even though she was not yeah. a practicing Christian scientist. And this woman, Sorky, according to Christina, had incredible influence over Joan. Like, she would go to advice for Sorky. And, you know, obviously, if Sorky was ever on the phone with Christina, because the kids would have to be like, I love you, Sorky. Ugh, and. Gross. The Joan, you know, Sorky would be like, be nicer to your mother, kids, because yeah. they would only get Joan's side of the story. Right. Obviously, about what was going on. Even though Joan was so seemingly immersed in the church and called herself a Christian scientist, she still drank and smoked, and the kids still went to the doctor 
as did Joan. Right. Like, like I said, she was not practicing in any way. They even had a personal doctor who did house calls. This was purely like a, I'm a churchgoer. Yes. To say that Joan Crawford was obsessed with cleanliness and hygiene is an understatement. Christina reports that she took up to three to four showers a day and was constantly washing her hands. She was like a drill sergeant when it came to barking commands to the children to clean the house, and none of the cleaning was ever good enough for her. In her book, Mommy Dearest, Christina describes what she referred to as night raids, which were events that would occur in the middle of the night at random, in which Joan would wake the children up screaming about something that had not been properly cleaned or put away. On one particularly remarkable occasion, Joan raided Christina's walk-in closet in her bedroom in the middle of the night. She tore all the clothes off of the racks and threw all the shoes across the room. She then dragged Christina out of her bed by her hair and into the closet where she berated her for using wire hangers. <laughs> Probably one of the most iconic scenes in Mommy Dearest, the movie. For sure. Everyone knows that that term or like, you know what I mean? Like they've know the scene. Even if you haven't seen Mommy Dearest, you know it. So this, according to Christina, is something that really happened about the wire hangers. This is where... Joan in the movie bellows her infamous no wire hangers line, which she actually did say to Christina. Right. She was having an absolute fucking meltdown over the fact that there was a wire hanger, one wire hanger found hanging in the closet. The first gay bar I used to go to as like a teen um, was in Long Island called Blanche. Yeah, I remember that. You told me. Oh, yeah. And that was their decor. Like above the bar, they had wire hangers hanging everywhere. (laughs) Amazing. It was so good. So apparently Christina like realized like the wire hanger, it was there like by accident, like a dry dry cleaner or something. It was like a dry cleaner thing. Like it hadn't been taken off the rack. It wasn't like intentional, obviously. And Joan was fucking losing it. She just is looking for something. It doesn't matter. Exactly. So... Joan then ripped all the sheets off of Christina's bed and then demanded that she clean up the mess. Christopher, meanwhile, was still in his bed next to Christina's. He was awake, but he was strapped down to his bed as Joan had affixed straps to the bed to keep him in place. Now, this was known as like a bed safe or something, or a sleep safe, and it was for babies. So they wouldn't roll off of a bed or their crib. Right. But Christopher was like three or four at this point. He was like four years old. He didn't need this. Yeah. But he had to sleep strapped into his bed every night. Look, even little babies don't even need it. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's not used anymore. Right. This is like a very outdated You strap your child into the bed. (laughs) So the children were forbidden to get up in the middle of the night to get water or to go to the bathroom. So Christina would have to help Chris to get up to go to the bathroom in, a, in the middle of the night <gasps> oh if he God. needed to. And she would have to like be on the lookout to make sure their mom didn't see. And she would have to like undo this giant fucking 40s safety pin that he was strapped Ugh. that was on the strap. Jesus. With. I mean, this thing was like. Also, imagine if he peed in the bed. Sometimes she he would, did. She would lose oh it. Oh my God. Yeah. She probably did Ugh. if he did. Now, another scene portrayed in the film, Mommy Dearest, that also really happened 
which was the night raid in which Christina, um, you know, got hauled into her mother's dressing room, which had not been cleaned enough. In the film, this was portrayed as Christina and Christopher's bathroom, but it was actually her mother's bathroom that Christina was with the comet where she got beaten with the can of comet. Yes. Okay. Christina had been ordered to clean her mother's dressing room, which included scouring the blue tiled floors. After a long day of cleaning, Joan woke her daughter up in the middle of the night in a rage because she believed that that the tiles had streaks in them. She dragged Christina into the dressing room where she proceeded to beat her with a can of Bon Ami scrubbing powder. (laughs) Now, the beating sent the powder spraying out of the can and all over Christina. And soon the entire room was covered in powder. Now, this scene is obviously horrific, but it does have some really great acting by this young actress in it that I just right. lo- I just love this scene of The hers. young actress in this movie is so good. She was won the Golden Raspberry for bad acting. What? She's fucking great in this movie. Some of her like side glances and stuff like were hilarious. Well, she has like my favorite line in this is when she just goes, "Jesus Christ." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. I fucking love that delivery of that is incredible. So The entire room is covered in powder. Nine-year-old Christina was ordered to clean up the mess. And this is like one of those messes where you're like, how the fuck am I supposed to clean this up? I remember those scenes where she would say, like, clean it up. Yeah. And I was just like, how? I mean, that's what she said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the same way. It's like, how do you clean this? It was so awful. It's a disaster. And her mom fucking did it because she saw some imaginary streaks. Yeah. On the floor. So Christina, who again was only nine years old, spent the next several hours scrubbing away at the powder and crying. She finally finished at 4.30 in the morning. Wow. Then there was the incident in the Rose Garden. (laughs) In the middle of the night, Joan woke the whole house up and dragged everyone outside and into the garden where a beautiful rose bush grew. Now, this is like a rich people rose bush. This shit is like yeah. professionally maintained over years. It is like it's gorgeous. It's scraggly. <laughs> it is not some home garden project. Yeah. This thing is like gorgeous and big. Yeah. And there's a ton of roses. I mean, like anyone would die to have this. And like a variety of different roses too. Like yeah. it's gorgeous. So everyone got dragged out into the garden where the rose bush stood And they noticed that she had destroyed, Joan had destroyed the entire bush with pruning shears. So she was hacking away at this bush. It's the middle of the night. She then orders everyone to haul the fallen branches away, thorns and all. No one's wearing gloves. Everyone's in their fucking nightgowns and shit. And she's like, pick them up. (laughs) No one can put on gloves. She's like, fucking do it. That's sharp. Yeah. Christina said she was, like, bloody after this. I mean, seriously. Even Joan was, like, everyone was, like, fucking covered in blood after doing this. Next, she called for Christina to bring her a saw from the gardening shed. Now, in the movie, Mommy Dearest, (laughs) Joan Crawford bellows, Tina, bring me the axe, which is one of my favorite lines of all time. It's so good. But it was actually a saw. Uh, but axe is definitely more cinematic. Yes. It's so, also sort of like, what's she going to do? Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, this is already terrifying. Right. And she has, like, 
doesn't she have like white is her face white in this? Her or that's- face is white in the wire hangers. Okay, yeah. Scene, okay. Slash comet scene. Yeah. But in this, she's wearing like a ball gown. Right. I don't think she was she, wearing. Was there something that started the incident? Didn't she have like a breakup or some like weird male thing? It was a studio thing. Okay. Yeah. Because that le- something led to this. Yes. Yeah. It was a studio thing. Now, Joan took the saw that Christina got from the gardening shed and she proceeded to saw down a perfectly healthy, beautiful orange tree in the yard. <laughs> She's getting out of regression. Yes. And everyone is standing by, like the nurse, the cook, yeah, who whatever other staff is there. It's like a few staff members and Christina and Christopher, and everyone is like fucking horrified. Like, oh my God, what is she doing? Yeah. At this point. The next morning, when the gardener arrived, he saw what had become of the rose bush that he had lovingly tended to for years, and he quit on the spot. <gasps> he Christina's like, I just heard him yell out a bunch of expletives. Dude. And he was like, I'm fucking done. That's hot. He yeah. loved those roses. Yeah, I would be pissed too. I love it. He yeah. stood up to that bitch. I mean, I was upset. I don't have a garden. I wish I had a fucking rose garden. It's insane. Yeah. Go go break up a statue or something. <laughs> yeah, cut some more guys out of your pictures. Seriously. I mean, this is just unnecessary. Or how about you clean the fucking mess you made? Scrub, bitch. <laughs> Joan Crawford was dedicated to maintaining her public image, especially when it came to showing gratitude towards her fans. She had an assembly line of workers who would stuff envelopes that had thank you notes to the mountains of fan mail that she received. She was constantly signing autographs on her headshots. Her domestic life was even on display for public consumption. Notably Christmas time when opening the presents with the children was a sight to behold for her guests. In 19... <laughs> yes. You remember that in the movie. I'm just laughing with the po- posing with the ribbon. There was like one... I don't oh, remember if it was the birthday, birthday party. But she had like pulling them. <laughs> yes. They would pose with the Christmas presents. I mean, they did that at Christina's birthday parties. Like they would have photographers yeah. there. And like, I mean, if you Google Christina and Joan Crawford, there's like hundreds of pictures of them. Yeah. That are like professional. They're not just like a friend to candids. Yeah. It's like they're posed. They're posed. They're wearing matching outfits. They would yeah. always have these little matching outfits together. I mean, when I saw this movie when I was a kid, I was completely obsessed with Christina's wardrobe. Oh my god, it's amazing! Like I was like, I want this party. <laughs> All the I was like, I'm so getting good. the beatings. At least I could get the other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like how about I like the outfits, like all of those outfits, even though it is corny as hell, like the birthday one. I love the birthday outfits. But with the mom, I mean, like it's just like an insane thing for a mom to wear as well. But like, yeah, I wanted Christina's wardrobe. I was just like dying. Right. I think both of their wardrobes in the film, they're just amazing. Oh, totally. They're so good. The matching outfits are just creepy though. And that's like true to life. They yeah. really did wear these really over-the-top outfits Joan's idea of motherhood is like a child. Like, not the beating and stuff, but like the idea of like, we do all this stuff, like we matching outfits and like, do you know what I mean? It's like, she doesn't really know how to be a mom. It's just like all these like thing, presentational things. Yeah. And she really wanted to be a mother too. Right. She just was so fucking inept and so obviously a very abusive woman towards her children. And she's messed up. She's a really messed up woman. I mean, I don't feel like... I feel like it's impossible for her to have been a good mother. 
Yeah. Just the way she was. Right. I mean. Because she was like this before in other ways. Right. You know? So, okay. So we're back at Christmas. They're opening up presents for photographers. Like I said, everything was like for the cameras. Yes. Like these big events, you know, they're for the cameras. In 1949... Joan and her four children sat around the tree for a radio interview about how they celebrate Christmas. And it was a very sanitized, precious look at the Crawford household during the holidays. Obviously, they weren't mentioning the rose garden or the meat. You know, it was like, we open our presents on Christmas morning and we we can't... And Joan's like, oh, the children, they wake up at 6.30 in the morning. They can't wait to get... But obviously no one's waking... No one's allowed to wake up till Joan wakes up because she's hungover. Even on Christmas. Even on... Come on. Now, Joan always had her children refer to her boyfriends as uncle whoever. (laughs) Now, that was, like, mentioned in the movie. Like, uh, I mean, like, it was just said, like, oh, this is your uncle Greg. But that was a real thing. Like, she... Joan dated a lot. She had a lot of... There were a lot of men coming in and out of the house. And whenever it was, like, a boyfriend, it was always uncle this. Mm -hmm. And the kids had to call them uncle Greg. And make them cocktail. And make them a cocktail. (laughs) Well, that's what all kids did in those days, Desi. (laughs) Joan attempted to have Christina's friends refer to her as Aunt Joan, but it didn't stick. Like, they didn't want to call her aunt. Like, why am I calling you Aunt Joan? You're my friend's mom. (laughs) She's so annoying. (laughs) (laughs) So she instead told them, because she didn't want to be referred to as Miss Crawford. Right. So she's like, well, why don't you call me Stinky? Oh, my God. And so they had, her friends had to call her Stinky. They're like, we'll do that. And they did. (laughs) But Christina was humiliated by this. Stinky? Why on earth would she pick that? I have no idea. And the the kids would talk about it at school. Like, oh, you mean your mom's stinky? That's like such a great example of someone thinking they're fun and cool. Yeah. (laughs) But completely missing the mark. (laughs) And it's like at this age where Christina is just fucking mortified. Christina's closest childhood friend, Judy, recalls never seeing Joan display affection towards her daughter unless there were cameras or reporters around. She remembers that both Christina and Christopher were punished often and severely and for quite minor infractions. She didn't, however, witness the twins receiving this kind of treatment, but they were much younger, of course. When Christina was in sixth grade, she was taken out of her school in Brentwood and sent to boarding school in Palos Verdes, which is south. It's okay. like southern LA. And this was completely out of the blue. Like there was no punishment. It wasn't about a punishment. It was right. just one day Christina was, you're going to boarding school. And her day-to-day life would obviously change dramatically. She was no longer living with her mom and siblings and their staff in their giant Brentwood mansion. She would now be living in a dorm with other girls and bunk beds. Christina didn't want to live here. She wanted to be at home and go to school with her friends. Even though things were so shitty back at home, she still was like sixth grade, just starting sixth grade. Right. She, it, it was, was what she knew. It was what she knew. Right. Christina would be allowed to visit home for the weekend every other weekend. So twice a month on the weekend, she could visit home. During the summer, Christina was home for the summer. And that first summer, she overheard her mother upstairs with her newest boyfriend, Uncle Vincent. 
She heard Joan screaming and ran to see what was happening. Uncle Vincent was hitting her. (gasps) Christina lunged at him and attacked him. Uncle Vincent left, and Christina was sure that that would be the last that she would see of him. But he showed up a few days later when Joan invited him to Christina's piano recital that was being held at their house. Christina was furious that he was there. Like, she had just seen this man beating on her mom. How dare... How dare you invite him to my piano recital? She was furious. And then Joan, to make matters worse, Joan ordered Christina to apologize to him (gasps) for trying to get him to stop beating on her. So it was fucked up. In 1951, when Christina was 11 and a half, she became fixated on the whispers from the older girls about what went on in the horse stables on her boarding school's property at night. (laughs) (laughs) There were rumors about what was going down at the horse stables, Desi. And I'm just a curious mind. (laughs) Now, there was this 16-year-old boy who tended to the horses, and all the girls that were his age were always going to meet him at night. And Christina was like, what are they doing? I want to do that, too. (laughs) Who is this guy? (laughs) And she thought the guy was cute. She's like, he's cute. I want to hang out at the horse stables with him. Whatever's going down, there's, there's whispers about the stables. Yeah. So... She managed to slip a note to this guy one day, and she told him to meet her there on Friday night. That Friday night, Christina snuck into the stables, and when the boy arrived, he led her into one of the empty horse stalls. They kissed, and then they fell onto the hay, and Christina says, quote, The stab of pain that shot through me like a rocket nearly made me scream. Now, in the book, Mommy Dearest, Christina recalls that the boy was stunned, when she told him how young she was, he was like, oh, I thought you were closer to 14. She's like, I'm 11 and a half. And he's, <laughs> and he's like putting his thing in her. Wait, wait, that's what sung? I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, that's what I think so. Okay, I thought she jumped up, fell on the hay, and there was a pitchfork in the hay. No, Desi. <laughs> that's literally what I thought, because I feel like there was some stuff missing in between. The first time, your mind doesn't go disgusting. <laughs> Because you went from kissing and then falling onto the hay. Well, they fell on, they fell, I meant it in like a romantic okay. way. Okay. They fell back onto the I hay. I got confused. I thought she got injured. He took her bra off. He took. Got it. Got she, it. You were being poetic. I was being poetic. Okay. They fell back onto the hay. And then she had a sharp pain when he stuck his dick in her. Yeah. Not poetic. Lisa. Not poetic. <laughs> and she was like, ow. Because she's like 11 and a yeah. half years old. Wait, so he found out mid-sex that she was only 11 and a half? Yeah. And he's 16. He's 16. Okay. And he's like, oh, I thought you were 14. Yeah. You look older. Wow. Um, so overall, Christina was just really confused about what exactly had happened. Like, she doesn't say in the book that they had sex, but I can only surmise that from the stab of pain that shot through me like a rocket. Yeah. While he's on top of her. That's so so you're saying the book is not very clear. It's not totally specific, but the gossip traveled fast as Christina had told one of her friends about the incident at the stables and it just made its way around the right. school. So everyone's like Christina got fucked in the horse stables by this guy and then of course it made its way to the administration of the school. So Christina was hauled into the office where she was confronted by the headmistress. She was then examined by the school doctor, who was a guy, to check out if she was still a virgin. Uh, She's 11 Now, when T.I. does this, 
Yeah, no, but this is happens in the movie. But in the movie, she's it's like a kiss. sixteen yes. too. Yes, she's. Like, I mean, she's older, no. much older. In the movie, there's a horse stable incident with a guy where she gets in trouble. But in the movie, it is so chaste and so. Also, she's by this point, even though she's still a teenager, she's being played by like an adult actress who's playing sixteen. So she looks even more mature. She's yeah, she's not an eleven year old. No, I was like floored when I read this because yeah. in the movie, it's like what happens in the movie is she meets this guy who looks to be the exact same age as her. They they both look like they're playing teenagers in a movie, right? Like this is not they don't look like children. No, and they they have one tiny puny little kiss. And then a girl walks in and goes, I'm telling. Yeah. There's no fondling. There's, there's no, no sharp pain. There's no sharp pain like a rocket. Yeah. That's why I was like, is this the same incident from the movie? No, I was, I was fucking floored yeah. when I read this, Desi. Why would they change? It's so much more interesting when she's like, I guess they didn't want to have an actress play that maybe. But like, uh, yeah. Yeah. So Christina's mom. Oh, I forgot to say, the doctor checked her out to make sure she was a virgin, and he concluded that she still was. Okay. But, I mean... I don't think that's exactly scientific. No. Yeah. I don't think so. I agree. So soon, the whole school, they'd heard about the rumors, and Christina's mom was called. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Seriously. When Joan Crawford arrived at school to have a meeting with her daughter and the headmistress, she was livid. She called her daughter a common whore. She's an 11-year-old girl. Uh, See, all of this is so much worse when she's... I mean, it's bad when she's 16, but it's like even more... It's like... Yeah. Yeah, it's all bad. The boy was expelled from school, and Christina was told that she could stay, but that all of her privileges were gone, and that she would be subjected to punishment. So she was like... Basically, she had no phone privileges, no, you know, socializing privileges. Like, she was just... And she had to, like, you know, scrub the toilets and stuff and do community service, like, whatever. Christina was also feeling really isolated from her peers as people were looking at her differently and making really mean comments towards her. I mean, kids are fucking assholes. Yeah. Especially if it's, like, if there's a sex rumor about you at school. Oh, forget it. Kids are the worst. So she was miserable. But she did have two friends throughout her that stuck by her. One, I just thought it was a cute story. She had this guy friend named Hoagie. Aw. Like, I love Hoagies, the sandwich. So, like, if your name is Hoagie, I automatically like you. Yeah, it's a good name. He was made fun of for being overweight, and he taught Christina how to dunk on kids cleverly. Like, he was like, I have a lot of sick dunks you can use. And no one, after a while, nobody touched him. Because that's what you got to do. He always had a fucking good comeback. And he also just didn't give a shit. And the best they could do is probably say he's fat. And he's like, I don't care. Yeah. Like that's what he would do. He'd be like, yeah, I'm fat. Who cares? Now I'm going to go after your mom. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. So by this time, uh, Christina was now we're going to Christina. She's in eighth grade. Joan decided it would be best if her daughter didn't come home from school every other weekend. She's like, you just stay yeah. at school now. At this time, Christopher was receiving the brunt of the abuse from Joan <gasps> back at the house. He did eventually go to the same boarding school as Christina. Once a week, though, Joan would call the school to check in with Christina, and she would often receive a verbal lashing. It was around this time, too, that Christina realized her mother was an alcoholic. 
Joan would bully the headmistress into telling her about any infraction from Christina, no matter how small, just so she could be punished. One of the incidents Joan was told about was that Christina wore her coat during class, which was not a big deal or even against the rules, but it was the only minor deviation that the headmistress could come up with (gasps) because Joan would like bully her so much and be like, you Uh tell me what she did, anything she fucking did that was wrong. Or they're like, Christina's a great student. She gets A's like she's well behaved. She's fine. And she's like, Tell me what there has did. to be something. Yeah. yeah. So she's like, okay, she wore her coat in class. It was weird or whatever. Yeah. So Joan told Christina, well, if you like wearing that coat so much, why don't you only wear that coat and nothing else? The coat in question had only one button and would hardly even be enough to cover everything. But Joan didn't care. The headmistress agreed with Christina that this was a ridiculous suggestion, but Joan sent someone to the school and raided Christina's entire closet. They took everything except for the coat and two cotton dresses. So for the next four months, Christina only wore two dresses on rotation. Oh, my God. Like, she couldn't wear jeans or whatever. She had a pair of shoes that, like, the sole was flapping off of them. Like, Oh, my God. It was a nightmare. And that is where we're going to leave off. Okay. Until next week, where we will talk about more of Joan's career and another marriage, which has a pretty interesting story. Yes. Yes. I love that (laughs) story. It's crazy. I mean, there is a lot to get to. Like, and I definitely am going to talk about uh, also next week, you know, stars and friends of Joan Crawford who disputed. The things in this book, the right. things that Christina said, uh, versus the people who corroborated it. Yeah, the events in this book. And we, ha- I hope we're going to talk about when Joan filled in for her on the soap opera. Uh, <laughs> Desi, that incident in particular is why I had to make this two parts because I was like, there is no way I, I'm gonna even be able to get to that, which I want to spend time on. It's so fucking crazy, and I love it so much. I love it's it just so unbelievable. Much. It's you would never get that today. We no. would never be blessed with that today. No, it's unbelievable. It's the best story ever. I'm I'm excited. But for the more. book obviously it's a very long book. It yeah. has a lot of little interesting. Do side you like the book? I do like the book. Okay, it's an it's like a interesting read. Um, I'm like halfway through it right now. Yeah. I mean, it's long. Yeah, it's fucking long, but it's good. I like it, and it's just interesting. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Bye.